Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Bible Podcast. Today we're going to be reading chapters 3 through 5 in the book of Judges. And before we begin, I wanted to start out with a quick prayer for each and every one of you. Dear God, our hearts are burdened for our friends and people that we know who are hurting right now. We ask that you would be their comforter, that you would cover them with your infinite grace and mercy, surrounding them in peace during this dark season. We pray for fresh grace, for renewed strength, for our goodness and mercy over their lives today. We thank you that you alone are our refuge and strong tower. We thank you that no matter what we face, You are still on the throne. You are still in control and nothing can ever stand against you. Thank you that you hold the victory in this world and you have promised in your word that you will be with us through any hardship we may face. We know that only in you do we have the hope to face dark and uncertain times for our future is held secure through the gift of Christ. We ask for you to extend your hope and compassion to our loved ones right now. In these days when they're struggling or seem to have lost their way at times, would you please remind them that you are still here with them, close, that you are bigger than this storm they're facing and you promise to hold them secure All these burdens we carry for our friends today, we lay at your feet, Lord. We give them to you, and we thank you that you hear our prayers and are at work on their behalf even now. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. All right, so chapter 3. The nations left in Canaan. These are the nations that the Lord left in the land to test those Israelites who had not experienced the wars of Canaan. He did this to teach warfare to generations of Israelites who had no experience in battle. These are the nations. The Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, and the Hivites living in the mountains of Lebanon, from Mount Baal Hermon to Lebo Hamath, these people were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the commands the Lord had given to their ancestors through Moses. So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and they intermarried with them. Israelite sons married their daughters, and Israelite daughters were given in marriage to their sons and the Israelites served their gods. Othniel becomes Israel's judge. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They forgot about the Lord their God and they served the images of Baal and Asherah poles. Then the Lord burned with anger against Israel and he turned them over to King Kushan Rishathaim or Aram Naharaim and the Israelites served Shan Rishathaim for eight years. But then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. The Lord raised up a 
rescuer to save them. His name was Othniel, the son of Caleb's younger brother, Canez. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he became Israel's judge. He went to war against King Cushan Rishthaim of Aram, and the Lord gave Othniel victory over him. So there was peace in the land for forty years. Then Othniel, son of Canaz, died. Ehud becomes Israel's judge. Once again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, and the Lord's and the Lord gave King Eglon of Moab control over Israel because of their evil. Eglon enlisted the Ammonites and the Amalekites as allies, and then he went out and defeated Israel, taking possession of Jericho and the city of Palms. And the Israelites served Eglon of Moab for eighteen years. But then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. The Lord again raised up a rescuer to save them. His name was Ehud, son of Jerah, a left-handed man of the tribe of Benjamin. The Israelites sent Ehud to deliver their tribute money of King Eglon of Moab. So Ehud made a double-edged dagger that was about a foot long, and he strapped it to his right thigh, keeping it hidden under his clothing. He brought the tribute money to Eglon, who was very fat. After delivering the payment, Ehud started home with those who had helped carry the tribute. But then Ehud reached the stone idols near Gilgal. He turned back. He came to Eglon and said, I have a secret message for you. So the king commanded his servants, Be quiet. And he sent them all out of the room. Ehud walked over to Eglon, who was sitting alone in the cool upstairs room, and Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. As King Eglon rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand, pulled out the dagger and strapped to his right thigh and plunged it into the king's belly. The dagger went so deep that the handle disappeared beneath the king's fat, so Ehud did not pull out the dagger, and the king's bowels emptied. Then Ehud closed and locked the doors of the room and escaped down the latrine. After Ehud was gone, the king's servants returned and found the doors to the upstairs room locked. They thought he might be using the latrine in the room, so they waited. But when the king didn't come out after a long delay, they became concerned and got a key. And when they opened the doors, they found their master dead on the floor. While the servants were waiting, Ehud escaped, passing the stone idols on his way to Sarai. When he arrived in the hill country of Ephraim, Ehud sounded a call to arms. Then he led a band of Israelites down from the hills. Follow me, he said, for the Lord has given you victory over Moab, your enemy. So they followed him, and the Israelites took control of the shallow crossings of the Jordan River across from Moab, preventing anyone from crossing. They attacked the Moabites and killed about 10,000 of the strongest and most able-bodied warriors. Not one of them escaped, so Moab was conquered by Israel that day, and there was peace in the land for 40 years. Shemgar becomes Israel's judge. After Ehad, Shemgar, son of Anath, rescued Israel. He once killed 600 Philistines with an ox, Goad. So here in chapter 3, in verses 7 through 10, notice that the rescue of Israel by Othniel was governed by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
as believers, we have the Holy Spirit living in us and guiding us. He is always there to give us direction, encouragement, and power as we face our problems. It was Ehud's distinctiveness as a left-handed warrior that we see in verses 12 to 30 that made possible his assassination of Eglon, the Moabite king. Since Ehud reached for his weapon with his left hand, the king did not suspect anything. People often view their unique characteristics as liabilities rather than as assets. God has made us the way we are for a purpose. We should not complain about our differences. We should use our unique abilities to help others and to serve God. God isn't running an assembly line. He custom builds all his people. Chapter 4 Deborah becomes Israel's judge. After Ahaz's death, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord turned them over to King Jabin of Hosar, a Canaanite king. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Hagoim. Sisera, who had 900 iron chariots, ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. Deborah, the wife of Labiroth, was a prophet who was judging Israel at the time. She would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites would go to her for judgment. One day she went for Barak, son of Abinoam, who lived in Kadesh, in the land of Naphtali. She said to him, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Nathali and Zebulun at Mount Tabor, and I will call out Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors, to the Kishon River. There I will give you victory over him. Barak told her, I will go, but only if you go with me. Very well, she replied. I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture, for the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. At Kadesh, Barak called together the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 warriors went up with him. Deborah also went with him. Now Heber the Kenite, a descendant of Moses' brother-in-law, Hobab, had moved away from the other members of his tribe and pitched his tent by the Oak of Zananim near Kadesh. When Sisera was told that Barak, son of Abinuam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, he called for all 900 of his iron chariots and all of his warriors, and they marched from Herosheth Hagoyim to the Kishon River. Then Deborah said to Barak, Get ready. This is the day the Lord will give you victory over Sisera, for the Lord is marching ahead of you. So Barak led his 10,000 warriors down the slopes of Mount Tabor into battle. When Barak attacked, the Lord threw Sisera and all the chariots and warriors into a panic. Sisera leaped down from his chariot and escaped on foot. Then Barak chased the chariots and the enemy ar army all the way to Harasheth Hagoyim, killing all of Sisera's warriors. Not a single one was left alive. Meanwhile, Sisera ran to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. 
Because Heber's family was on friendly terms with King Jabin of Hozar, Jail went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come into my tent, sir. Come in. Don't be afraid. So he went into her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. Please give me some water, he said. I'm thirsty. So she gave him some milk from a leather bag and covered him again. Stand at the door of the tent, he told her. If anybody comes and asks you if there is anyone here, say no. But when Sisera fell asleep from exhaustion, Jail quietly crept up to him with a hammer and tent peg in her hand. Then she drove the tent peg through his temple and into the ground, and so he died. When Barak came looking for Sisera, Jael went out to meet him. She said, Come, and I will show you the man you are looking for. So he followed her into the tent and found Sisera lying there dead with a tent peg through his temple. So on that day Israel saw good saw God defeat Jabin, the Canaanite king. And from that time on, Israel became stronger and stronger against King Jabin until they finally destroyed him. So here in chapter 4, in verses uh, 4 through 9, until this point, Deborah had served as a prophet of God in Israel. Here she was called to take part in a military campaign to overthrow the Canaanite oppressors. Though this was new ground for her, she didn't hesitate for a minute. She trusted that God would care for and direct her. Barak, however, put more trust in Deborah than in God. Because of Barak's lack of faith, God accomplished his task through another. We have the potential to assist others struggling with situations that have plagued us in the past. But if we don't demonstrate the courage to lead, God may not use us to help. Chapter 5 The Song of Deborah on that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang this song. Israel's leader took charge, and the people gladly followed. Praise the Lord. Listen, you kings, pay attention, you mighty rulers, for I will sing to the Lord. I will make music to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you set out from Mounts, from Seir, and marched across the fields of Adam, the earth trembled, and the cloudy skies poured down rain. The mountains quaked in the presence of the Lord, the God of Mount Sinai, in the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, and in the days of Jael, people avoided the main roads, and travelers stayed in winding paths. There were few people left in the villages of Israel until Deborah arose as a mother for Israel. When Israel chose new gods, war erupted at the city gates, yet not a shield or spear could not be seen among 40,000 warriors in Israel. My heart is with commanders of Israel, with those who volunteered for war. Praise the Lord. Consider this, you who ride on fine donkeys, you who sit on fancy saddle blankets, and you who walk along the road. Listen to the village musicians gathered at the watering holes. They recount the righteous victories of the Lord, 
and the victories of his villagers in Israel. Then the people of the Lord marched down to the city gates. Wake up, Deborah, wake up. Wake up, wake up, and sing a song. Arise, Barak, lead your captives away, son of Binuam. Down from Tabor marched the few against the nobles. The people of the Lord marched down against mighty warriors. They came down from Ephraim, a land that once belonged to the Amalekites. They followed you, Benjamin, with your troops. From Makir, the commanders marched down. From Zebulun came those who carry a commander's staff. The princes of Issachar were with Deborah and Barak. They followed Barak, rushing into the valley. But in the tribe of Reuben, there was great indecision. Why did you sit at home among the sheepfolds to hear the shepherds whistle for their flocks? Yes, in the tribe of Reuben, there was great indecision. Gilead remained east of the Jordan, and why did Dan stay home? Asher sat unmoved at the seashore, remaining in the in his harbors. But Zebulun risked his life, as did Naphtali, on the heights of the battlefield. The kings of Canaan came and fought at Tanakh, near Megiddo's springs, but they carried off no silver treasures. The star fought from heaven, the stars in their orbits fought against Sisera. The Kishon River swept them away, that ancient torrent, the Kishon. March on with courage, my soul. When then the horse's hooves hammered the ground, the galloping, galloping of Sisera's mighty steeds. Let the people of Meraz be cursed, said the angel of the Lord. Let them be utterly cursed, because they did not come to help the Lord, to help the Lord against the mighty warriors. Most blessed among women is Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. May she be blessed above all women who live in the tents. So Sarah asked for water, and she gave him milk. In a bowl fit for nobles, she brought him yogurt. Then with her left hand she reached for a tent peg, and with her right hand for the workman's hammer. She stuck to Sarah with the hammer crushing his head. With a shattering blow, she pierced his temples. He sank, he fell, he lay still on her feet, at her feet. And where he sank, there he died. From the window of Sisera's mother's mother looked out. Through the window she watched her, she watched for his return, saying, Why is this chariot so long in coming? Why don't we hear the sound of chariot wheels? Her wise woman answer, and she repeats these words to herself. They must be dividing the capture captured plunder with a woman or two for every man. There will be colorful robes for Sisera and colorful embroidered robes for me. Yes, the plunder will include colorful robes embroidered on both sides. Lord, may all your enemies die like Sisera, but may those who love you rise like the sun in all its power. Then there was peace in the land for 40 years. So in today's world, we see that males lead most of the world's major corporations, governments, and religious organizations. Many people think that's the way it should be. But the fourth and fifth chapters of, chapters of Judges show that women can be powerful leaders too, particularly if God calls and empowers them. In Deborah's time, People voluntarily came to her to settle their disputes. They trusted her wisdom to cut through the arguing and settle on a fair judgment. 
They listened to her prophecies and accepted them as the true word of the Lord. When the time came for someone to step up and confront the Canaanite oppressors, God spoke through Deborah and instructed a man named Barak to gather an army. Barak agreed, but only on the condition that Deborah stayed close by, even on the battlefield. The Lord honored this arrangement and gave Israel a dramatic victory. Interestingly, Deborah wasn't the only woman turning the tide of history that day. Jael, wife of a nomadic herdsman, hospitably welcomed the enemy leader Sisera into her tent, only to drive a nail through his temple when he dozed, making the Israelite victory complete. What should we take away from this account? God wants us to see that same qualities are more important than gender. Both men and women can be used by God. Both can relate to Him and discern His will. Both can help resolve a conflict or make a tough decision. And both can acknowledge that God is the supreme leader of all. So before we conclude today and jump into the summary of what we read today, I wanted to talk a little bit about Barak and what does it take to become a quote-unquote man of faith, a clerical caller, a perfect record, a life apart from the chaos and turmoil of life. If that's what you think, then think again and learn something about genuine faith from an imperfect man named Barak. Barak lived during the difficult times of the judges. After the death of Joshua, but before the prophet Samuel and the kings of Israel came along. In those days, says the Bible, all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Judges 17 verse 6. The Hebrew nation oscillated between outright rebellion against God and a forced submission to divine rule. When they fell into a pattern of disobedience, God sent brutal pagan armies to beat them up until they cried out for relief. Then God would raise up a deliverer called the judge to lead the people back to godliness and victory. But after the judge's death, the dreary cycle became all over again, began all over again. Barak grew to manhood after the death of a judge named Ehud. When the Israelites once more rejected God's commandments, the Lord turned them over to King Jabin of Hazor, a Canaanite king. Jabin's top general, Sisera, commanded an army of 900 iron chariots and ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. When the people of Israel finally cried out to God for deliverance, he provided them with a dynamic woman named Deborah as the new judge. She recruited Barak to assemble a large army to defeat Sisera. She even gave him a divine plan to accomplish the task. Yet Barak wavered. I will go, he said, but only if you go with me. Doesn't sound much like mountain-moving faith, does it? Hardly the faith of 
response that would recommend you for the Faith Hall of Fame. And yet there he is, Hebrews 11:32. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak. Deborah told Barak that she would accompany him, but she warned that because of his reticence to move ahead on God's word alone, he would not gain any honor for the coming victory. Sure enough, the armies of Israel so smashed their enemies that not a single one was left alive. And yet Barak gained no glory for his overwhelming triumph. His enemy, Sisera, died not in battle, but at the hands of a housewife named Jael. A post-victory song gives Barak only a couple of brief mentions. While Jael received several stanzas lauding her bravery, could Barak have done better? Surely. Yet God accomplished great things through him and his faith, imperfect as both may have been. So today, we met Israel's first four judges, all of whom are fairly good in the role. We also find out that God left a handful of Canaanite leaders in the land as a test for the Israelites. They've forgotten God and are worshipping the Baals and the Asheroth. God sells them into slavery like he warned them he'd do when this happened. After eight years, they cry out to God and he raises up Othniel, the first judge and military leader to save them. God gives them victory and they have peace for 40 years until the Israelites decide they prefer sin over peace and rebel again. God strengthens their enemy, King Eglon of Moab, against them and he gathers allies to attack Israel and take back Jericho, Israel's first conquest in the Promised Land. They make the Israelites their servants for 18 years. When the Israelites cry out to God for rescue, he appoints the second judge, Ehud. He's from the tribe of Benjamin, which means son of the right hand. But this left-handed warrior leads them in giving King Eglon a gift as a ruse to stab him. Then they kill 10,000 Moabites, take back the land and have peace for 80 years. We only get one sentence on the third judge, Shamgar. Both his name and his family of origin suggest he's a native Canaanite who turned to worship Yahweh. He leads them in victory over the Philistines. Then the people sin again, and God tells them, God sells them into slavery for 20 years until, under King Jabin. This situation seems impossible to the people because Jabin and his military commander, Sisera, have access to 900 iron chariots and live in flat areas. If you have chariots, you want to fight on flat, flat land. If you don't have chariots, you want to fight in the hills so you can beat the chariots. That the Canaanites have chariots and flat land doesn't bode well for the Israelites. The Israelites are worshiping Canaanite gods who are worth, worthless to save them. They have no hope but Yahweh. 
so they cry out to him. So God raises up Deborah, the judge who honors him most and sticks closest to his commands. She's a wise, bold, level-headed prophet who keeps her word and fears God. She's the only judge we'll encounter who proceeds over legal cases. The one traditional role she doesn't fulfill is the role of military leader. She says God appointed Barak for that position. He agrees but refuses to go to battle without her. Even though she lets him know that a woman will be praised for the victory, Deborah sends Barak into battle against Sisera and his 900 chariots with God's blessing. The Israelites kill a lot of Canaanites, but Sisera escapes on foot and goes to the tent of Habir the Kenite. Habir was a peaceful, has a peaceful relationship with Sisera's king, so they're on decent terms, which may explain why Sisera goes to his tent. But there are at least two other odd dynamics here. First, Habir is a Kenite, not an Israelite. But those two peoples are closely related and have a peaceful relationship. The Kenites even settled in the land with the Israelites. So Sisera is showing up to a place where he is both a friend and an enemy. Second, Sisera actually goes to Habir's wife, wife's tent. Wives often have separate tents from their husbands. It's a potentially awkward situation, but not for long because she drives a tent peg through his temple, fulfilling Deborah's prophecy. Once again, God and his people gain victory over the enemy, and they have peace for 40 years. God chooses and appoints unlikely leaders, a left-handed man from a right-handed tribe, a Canaanite to lead the Israelites, and a woman. God uses the unlikely not to pump up their self-esteem or give them bragging rights in front of the haters. That's prideful at worst and fleeting at best. But to reveal himself at work, to reveal his heart for the overlooked. It's not even that he quote-unquote sees potential in these unlikely leaders because it's not potential, it's a reality. And he created it. So he gets the credit and praise. We love stories of underdog champions and unlikely leaders, they bring him glory and they bring us joy because they point to him and he is where the joy is. In today's daily devotional, seek my face more and more. You are really just beginning your journey of intimacy with me. It is not an easy road, but is a, but it is a delightful and privileged way, a treasure hunt. I am the treasure and the glory of my presence glistens and shimmers along the way. Hardships are part of the journey too. I meet them out over ever so carefully in just the right dosage with a tenderness you can hardly imagine. Do not recoil from afflictions, since they are among my most favored gifts. Trust me and don't be afraid, for I am your strength and song. Amen. 
Thank you all for tuning in today to this episode. I hope you all have a great day. God bless each and every one of you.